Hi there, my name is Paddy Butler and this podcast is brought to you from Liberia, a bookshop by Second Home. This week I had the awesome opportunity to speak with the supremely unique talent that is Nell Zink. Author of the hilariously wicked Wall Creeper, Zink really epitomizes that new wave punk feminist writing we champion here, which includes writers such as Rachel Kushner and Lydia Yuknevich, to name two others. Zink has a rare voice of searching intelligence and her new novel Doxology is the subject of our discussion today. But I just wanted to start with some recommendations. The Government of No One, The Theory and Practice of Anarchism by Ruth Kinna. As Terry Eggleton writes in his review of the book in The Guardian, anarchy was the brainchild of the unholy trinity of French libertarian socialist Pierre-Joseph Proudhon and Russian revolutionaries Mikhail Bakunin and Peter Kropotkin. Also in the mix, the darling of British fiction, Zadie Smith publishes her first collection of short stories, which is sure to challenge and confuse in all the right ways. Uh, Very excited to get stuck into that at some stage in the near future. On that, there's a raft of other notable titles worth mentioning, including Malcolm Gladwell's new book, Talking to Strangers, and James Lovelock's Novacine, The Coming Age of Hyperintelligence. Now, Lovelock is no stranger to strange and wonderful ideas. He is the man who famously originated the Gaia hypothesis. So lots of stuff in Liberia at the minute. So do lazy your way down there this week and grab yourself a coffee and cozy reading milk. Now, over to Nell Zink. Zink, thanks so much for coming on to the Liberia podcast and congratulations on your new novel, Doxology. Tell us about tell us about the book. How did it come about? Um, it came about because I decided to write a novel um, and uh, decided I wanted to write a long one um, with big ambitious themes. I mean, I mean, it's a work of art made by me, so of course the actual impetus for it is that I wanted to do something like this. And then I, I just went through my mind thinking, what's, what's an interesting paradoxical situation in history that I would like to, to examine mm. through fiction? Because it's only interesting to write fiction about something or, or to read it, at least to me, if you need fiction to think about it because there are viewpoints that are irreconcilable and things that seem contradictory. And... Um, and I looked at the generational shift uh, between the sort of Cold War generation that I belong to. I'm literally a baby boomer, a member of that reviled generation that supposedly that took everything, that took everything and destroyed yeah. the world, which is, that's just people who can't do math. Because, exactly. you know, the, the baby boom was born starting like 47, you know, they, anyway. So I was born in 64. And... Um, and I saw the world, I was at the very last year of the U.S. baby boom, yeah. and all was surrounded by a world that was crumbling. My whole life, I've been at the tail end of this huge generation that just was like a, you know, a boa constrictor swallowing a Volkswagen wow. that just yeah. destroyed everything in its path. And then I come along behind bringing up the rear. And um, so my idea was, to take people a little younger than me, because I've known, God knows, a lot of them in my life, people who are more Generation X, mm. and um, give them a child who is a millennial, yeah. um, and, or 
one of those the, the youngs, as yeah. people sometimes call them. Just for listeners, and this is this is the two characters who um, Daniel and Pam, right? Yes, the, these are the parents of a girl named Flora. Flora, yeah. yeah. And so I, I originally wrote the book, meaning it to be long, in two sections, which I called um, uh, Peace Dividend for this somewhat more naive, happy time before, mm-hmm. say, the first dot-com crash, mm-hmm. 9-11, that mm-hmm. kind of thing, right around the yeah. turn of the millennium. And the second one had sort of a working title of the Forever Wars, which is what started after 9-11. Yeah. You know, a time when it became clear we were not going to be taking all the money we saved by yes. not being in a nuclear arms race and spending on the spending it on the arts and social programs. You know, we, yeah. what we were going to do is ramp up the U.S. budget to many, many trillions and spend more than half of it on insane weaponry. Yeah. Um, and, and also interfere more pointedly in, in, in the Middle East and... Yeah. Which it doesn't play strategy games around, you know, I suppose certain nations there, which was yeah. deeply, obviously, deeply problematic. It, yeah. Those things don't play a, a direct role in the novel, but of course they play a, a huge indirect role in the life of everyone who's alive. Yeah. So, so these characters are subject to forces beyond their control in in a way that people have started calling a systems novel. Okay. Why Why is that? I've just seen this term being thrown around. Um, Interesting. uh, Just uh, talking uh, talking about it as a kind of genre that, say, David Foster Wallace belonged to, or people, but but they often use it for people who believe in conspiracy theories, which, you know, my my belief in forces beyond my control has nothing to do with conspiracy theories. Well, yours is more, if I dare say, there's it's. there's a kind of um, there's two strains. There's the the particular and the universal, isn't there? There's the individual, and then there's the the grand narrative history, which, as you say, is beyond their control as individuals. I mean, that's a central problem of philosophy. Yeah. I mean, just you know, here I am. There's one of me. Why now? Why me? Yeah. I mean, that's the one question that no philosopher even talks about because it's completely you can't answer it. Mm. You know, why am I this, you know, American writer and not a Neanderthal? Mm. Mm. But (sighs) doesn't one of your, I mean, you've referenced Immanuel Kant before. Doesn't he try to, (laughs) doesn't he try to grapple with it to a certain extent with the, with uh, the categorical imperative? And I think some of your, 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 your characters, you know, reflect on that. Maybe not. A That's a very abstract ethical stance where you say, okay, what, what is the absolute, when, when people reduce consciousness to a point, like an observing eye, a still point in the turning world mm. and just shave it down to, you know, cogito ergo sum, mm. they're, they're trying to get a kind of objectivity, but the objective fact is that the consciousness of each of us is, you know, as individual as a snowflake mm. <laughs> or a fingerprint. Well, I guess fingerprints aren't all that individual, but but it's huge and complex and made up of just mm. endless amounts of little tidbits of information that we've yeah. collected over our lives. Yeah. And, and every consciousness is different. Yeah. And uh, that 
is, you know, it's so complex. It can, it will, it can and will never be explained because it's one of those things that like all this, all the, well, maybe the, maybe the people probably talk about doing it with quantum computing, but at this point, all the silicon in the the universe is not going to model a human brain. So uh, just one human brain. And we got 7 billion of these things running around. But we're, we're, we're addicted to the narrative, though, aren't we? We're, we're addicted to that, um, that problem. Yeah, people want to simplify, just like Immanuel yeah. Kant. Yeah. They want yeah. to say, well, you know, what, what am I all about? Well, the hero's journey. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I want. Yeah. You know, I, I want to overcome some adversity and win. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, just the main thing is that there's a narrative there. You're right. But the, 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 the start of Doxology, your new novel, you are playing with, I mean, the, the, the prose is, is different from, you know, your other books in the sense that you, it is quite abstracted. It, it's, it, it reads like, if I dare say, like a report. Um, it's, it's like a news report in a sense. Now, it's not as clinical as that, but there is a sense of that. The narrator is observing these lies. I, t- I tried to make it straightforward. Yes, but it's petulant as well, isn't it? To, to kind of reflect <laughs> the, 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 the characters, or is it? Well, there are some things that are just hard to talk about, something like a nuclear arms race. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just report it objectively, it sounds petulant because yeah. it's so crazy. Yeah. So I, I think there's a, a fine line I try to walk between just being being a realist and being, you know, things that that people, uh, I, I guess somewhere out there, there I, I get an impression there are some, you know, super ultra friendly, sweet people with very thin skins who think that I'm, kind of a mean writer and don't like my characters, but I don't know what kind of Care Bears I'd have to be writing about. Yeah, sure. Do they have Care Bears in England? Um, I don't know. Do we, Ben? Oh, okay. Well, uh, do you have those ponies? My Little Pony? Oh, yeah. Years ago, my sister had one when when we were growing up. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm writing about Homo sapiens, not My Little Pony. Yeah, sure. I'll put it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good contrast. Interesting. Um, now to, to, to give it a bit of context, they're, they're growing up, I suppose they're hitting their, their stride or their, their young stride in the nineties and it's based around the music scene. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Give us a, give us a little context about what they're getting involved in and what well, their aims are, because well, that, I think that's kind of key as well to the, the, to the, 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 the ongoing narrative. Within. Well, Pam, the, the main female character, Pamela Bailey from mm-hmm. Washington, D.C. She comes up in the D.C. punk scene in the um, early, mid-80s. She's quite young and uh, gets really attached to the band Minor Threat, mm-hmm. uh, fronted by Ian McKay. Okay. And uh, their uh, raison d'etre is uh, to be straight edge. That's what they're known for. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if you're familiar with I, this, I'm, but I'm not familiar with them, no. well, like Minor Threat's uh, greatest hit, um, "Straight Edge," probably the song they're still known for. It, it, I mean, the lyric is like, "I don't fuck, I don't drink, 
I don't something else, but at least I can think. Right. <laughs> they were like these these just really sensible, unbelievably smart. I know okay. Ian McKay. Great. Because he got in touch with me. He likes my book. So Amazing. he so he uh, like sent me fan mail and then we got together and he's he's actually going to uh, do my event in That's DC. Oh so cool. And um so so the, these are very forthright idealistic okay. uh, hardcore punk musicians. Well, little Pam Bailey is really into Minor Threat. She thinks Ian is super hot. Mm. But um she also reserves her right to like smoke crack and have random sex with men who might give her crack. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, she's, she, she's uh, distanced from her own life and a bit cynical from the start because of the way her parents raise her, which is completely unrealistic. She's from that, um, her, her parents are older baby boomers who might as well be Victorians. You right. know, they have expectations for what a teenage daughter is going to do. And in the 80s, no teenage daughter was doing those things yes. that your parents that are, that are still have, you know, ideals left over basically from the 40s yeah. are, are wanting you to do. Well, they're know. quite religious as well, right? No, her her, no. her parents aren't religious. They're more uh, they're deep into the military industrial complex. Oh yes, in DC, and yes. her the man she meets in New York, Daniel um, Svoboda, is from Wisconsin. He's from the Midwest, and his parents are born again Christian ah, religious that's for the fanatics. Predestination. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah makes sense. Well, uh, well, her parents uh, are uh, they believe in. Uh, sort of Church of England style Anglicanism, uh, Episcopalianism, as it's called in the U.S. That's the church they go to. But they're not really believers. It's just all principle to them. It's a cultural thing. Their their um, cultural background is very, very British. And, th and that makes a difference even in American society, even now, uh, where your uh, ancestors happen to hail from. Okay. So, so Daniel um, is in rebellion, in flight away from these religious parents. And she's just a smart kid who thinks her parents are contemptible hypocrites and practices hypocrisy consciously okay. <laughs> to, 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 as a form of protest. Okay. And they, they, their friend, Joe, is also key to the narrative. He, they, eventually, the three of them, shall we say, go on to... I guess to a certain rarefied, well, a certain kind of success in the in the music industry. Well, Joe, in particular, they're both difficult people and new to New York and not popular. And mm. and and this guy Joe, um, I say it's the first sentence of the novel. I say he had Williams syndrome, but nobody ever knew. And Williams syndrome is a genetic syndrome. It's a mutation. It can be pass passed down, but it usually arises spontaneously. Okay. Um, and, and that was a conscious choice on my part, partly because of the, the way um, the contemporary culture is moving towards uh, genetic explanations for, for a, just uh, yeah, about everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, this is a guy who has a genetic explanation. Mm -hmm. He really does. Um, and, well, he's not real popular either because the effect of Williams syndrome, one of the main things is it makes you really, really talkative mm. and you just like everybody. It, it disables something in your amygdala that allows you to distrust people. Okay. So he wow. trusts everyone. So he's 
sort of unbearable, but but Pam is also a really irritating person when yes. she's still a teenager. And and Daniel is just, you know, a complete nerd. Yes. They're they're they're, they're kind of So so they glom onto him because yeah. he's because he likes everybody. Yeah. He also likes them. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so so they become, you know, best friends, like a trio running yeah. around and they form a band. Yeah. And there's there's a certain a certain success, but they seem to be detached as well. I mean, Pam Pam is working in IT, uh, but they're, they're they're Daniel has grand dreams for you know to manage Joe and his career, but they all seem to be detached from the big the bigger picture. The you know the foreign policy, shall we say, or what what's what's coming around the corner. Well, I mean, the big it used moment. to just make me laugh when individuals would tell me about their foreign policy. Mm, right. <laughs> it's like they, that's to me, ignorance of the big picture. Mm. When an individual thinks that it matters, that's a delusion of grandeur. When somebody thinks anything matters except how he votes. And a lot of a lot of people don't vote, but they'll still tell you for hours about their foreign policy. Okay. You know what they're going to do when they're finally named dictator. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's to me a very mainstream, stodgy way to be because my experience of genuine activists is that they don't even read the paper. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what these current debates okay. are yeah. because they're involved with the facts on the ground mm. and not with the discourse, which is very much superstructure and, you know, frippery claims mm. being uh, made and debunked um, with no regard to what's, what's actually really going yeah. on. Okay. And it's not behind the scenes. It's just in the open if you're actually directly involved. But do you think this generation, the generation that you're dealing with in this book is kind of, symptom, you know, there's a representative of a generation who, who who is in a sense culturally spoilt and doesn't have to worry about the, the bigger picture so to speak I mean I wouldn't call it spoiled I mean it's the utopia mm. of every uh, utopian that a people will preoccupy themselves with art and culture yeah okay I mean, the the fact that they felt privileged to do that to some extent, or at least that the problems they were facing were not problems they could personally solve. Things like uh, um, the nuclear, the nuclear arms race. It's not really something that, as a high school dropout working as a computer programmer, you're going to make a huge difference to. Except yeah. you know, except sure. by maybe getting slightly involved with a, some sort of Quaker peace activists or something. But but uh, but then in the book, in the narrative, 9-11 occurs. And yes. The, tell, tell us about, what, you know, why this was important. I mean, for obviously it's important as a, in, in history terms, but for the book, and for what you're trying to communicate, why is it so important? Because my reading of it is it, it's, it's obviously a huge wake-up call, but it's also a wake-up call in the sense of 
you know, I mean, you, you parody, there's a parody of, uh, you know, Adam Smith, the, the, the invisible hand at some stage within it. And it's, yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, war for war, wars for sale. Um, oh, the, the song that, uh, yeah, the little, that Pam writes. Yeah. And then, you know, you, and, and that's how we understand, yeah. like, you know, it's a, it's a Dick Cheney war and it's, um, it's contracts for sale. Um, uh, yes, uh, I mean, at that point, it, when, I mean, the, the big rupture that happened with 9-11 was simply American vulnerability. It was an emotional shock mm-hmm. to every American, mm-hmm. even to me, mm-hmm. to think that we could be attacked that way. Because it's simply historically wasn't something that had happened, you know, unless you count like Pearl Harbor. But Pearl Harbor was an attack on a Navy base. Um, or I don't know. Offshore, offshore almost, yeah. It was, Fort, it was, Fort Sumter was yeah. an attack by the South against the North. Okay, so we had a civil war. We had Pearl Harbor. But but you don't expect um, to, to uh, see a conflict be brought to American soil. That's not yes. how I grew up. So that was a huge shock to everybody and it unleashed an incredible reign of paranoia Mm -hmm. and a huge business opportunity for all these uh, Mm -hmm. profiteers like Cheney. And um, I think people were used, people on the left, critical people were used to thinking of things in terms of money. So their initial initial uh, analysis of that war was, oh, we're doing it to make money for Dick Cheney. Yeah. And I think they, um, now it's becoming more apparent that there's, you know, an ideology behind it that isn't quite the same thing as money. Yes. <laughs> you Are you, do, you, do you mean like a, the, the neoliberal ideology prosecuted by the likes of Cheney? Well, things like racism. Okay. That would allow you to march into a country, destroy it, and randomly kill families um, without a second thought. Mm-hmm. Just think of them as collateral damage. Uh, that's, you know, that's a, that's a product of racism, and uh, it, it is ethical values like that, or the lack of them, that just pretty much decide how you spend your money. Yeah. <laughs> so. You know, no matter how many trillions I had, I don't think I would spend it on invading a country and killing hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. I can't say that with any certainty because, you know, who knows what we would all do. Yeah. Okay. But it's, 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 it's um, I, I guess it's looking for an enemy, isn't it, too, as well. You know, it's, it's a nation who's, as you, you, know, you say, it's coming out of the Cold War. It no longer has an enemy, so it needs... And you won, and that is. That was certainly a widespread theory. Okay. At the same time, if, if when you, when I talk to people who have like worked in the White House or something, mm. it's plain, you know, like under Obama, nice people. Um, they, uh, I mean, we there are enemies out there. There are strategic interests that uh, there are people who don't want only good things mm-hmm. for, you know, peace, justice, and freedom. And there has to be some kind of strategy against them. I, I, but I mean, the, the ideal is to make it a peaceful one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so when little Flora, you know, is born to uh, Pam and Daniel and she grows up in this 
completely politicized atmosphere yeah. after 9-11 and then the, uh, the uh, financial crash, mm-hmm. then Obama, mm-hmm. and, and then the rise of, of Trump and his movement, um, she just has a completely different mindset about who's running the world and how. And how does how what how is it different? Do you think to to her parents? Well, or, because and because why she's is it she's immediately drawn to party politics and yes. to, to and try and make change, some and, sort of change, right? And partly because of of the way communication works in the new age, you know, okay. with social media and stuff, you're immediately drawn into groups. Okay. Yeah. People cluster together in a way that was almost impossible before. So but the groups that are out there are now much larger. She has also has a, an important awakening, if you like, as well in Ethiopia, doesn't she? Where, you know, the normal uh, rules of language, you know, she, she realizes that America isn't universal. And it goes back to that kind of particular and universal idea, that binary that I see in your, that I read in your work. Yeah, quite a lot, and that's quite interesting as well, isn't it? She kind of she's in in Ethiopia. She can't speak the, the language, she can't communicate, and that kind of unmoors her. Yeah, that's quite important, isn't it? Like in the sense of a, of of her awakening, her realization that she's helpless. Well, uh, also her recognition that the kind of abstraction that she's been taught to think of as almost equivalent to intelligence. Okay. Yeah. Um, makes everything fungible manageable fungible uh, like um it can be bought and sold once you put a label on okay. it whereas these she begins in, in when she's staying with this very uh um underprivileged woman in in Ethiopia mm. she's she's there on a on an internship and ends up staying out in a, a very rather primitive farm helping out mm. as a field hand basically um, and she realizes a sort of concretism that people will say is a, say a symptom of Alzheimer's disease. If I say, you know, I, I need a cup and I bring and you bring me a cup and I say, no, that's not the cup I wanted. I want my cup. Mm-hmm. Well, that's if, if you love nature if you love the material world at all you become concretist you know people will uh, what what happens to you is that those in power say we're going to destroy this wetland to make this airport but we're going to give you this other wetland yes that we're going to make with a bulldozer and the stream we're going to divert and it's going to be just like your old wetland it's just going to be somewhere else so as you said which is complete fucking bullshit yeah everybody knows it Mm -hmm. And, and, but if you sit there saying, no, I want my wetland, mm. it's like you're a concretist with Alzheimer's. Right. Um, you're not getting the, the, you know, the, big, I, the, 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 you're not in line with our wishes. Right, because abstraction yeah. is like the essence of modernity, this ability yeah. to, to make things be equivalent with other things and be flexible and be adaptable mm. and exchange things with other people and exchange them for money. Yes. And that, it's a science, This it's a discord, it's, I mean, it's the scientific revolution, isn't it? It's that modernity, that kind of effect of we will categorize everything in these neat parcels and therefore it's easy for you to adhere to what we want, whether that's in the law or science or 
big business, big pharma. Right, just simply to define things and uh, explain them and, and use variables. Yeah. And But the minute you're talking about uh, a really complex reality mm-hmm. like uh, social a coexistence or nature, the, uh, an, an ecosystem. Yes. You can You immediately run up against the problem that uh, you have uh, way more variables than you have cases. Actually, way, you have, way more. We complex. have one case. There yeah. is one ecosystem. We have yeah. a planet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. The complexity so is we, enormous. So we shouldn't be talking about there being variables. Yeah. We need to be just out of pure self-interest, preserving every single thing about it that we possibly can because we don't know what can be exchanged because we don't, we only have this one case. So that's interesting. Like the, the, it, I suppose raise money and, 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 and fight fire with fire. The lawyer, the I suppose the lobby groups, the lawyers in Washington, that's where, that's where you have to go I mean, to, to do battle. Essentially. Some of my best friends are lobbyists and I admire them more than I can say. Okay. I mean, uh, I know th- for uh, this will sound implausible to you probably, but the, have you ever heard of an AIDS orphan? No. Uh, okay. Well, they, um, when, uh, for example, th- this was the work of lobbyists, lobbyists for good for a good cause, um, back when it was almost impossible to get any government money in the U.S. to fight HIV, they're like, "Okay, what's the problem with our issue? It's always people's fault. They had sex, so now mm, God is mm, punishing them. Mm. But if we can talk about children with HIV, mm. no, no, not children with HIV, because maybe they had sex and God is punishing them. How about we just talk about children who are orphans because of HIV?" And, and simply by coming up with that media virus, it was literally a media virus, mm. to start talking about little kids in Africa who have no parents because both parents died of HIV, they, they got like evil right-wing senators like Jesse Helms in Washington to, to like cry. And, and, and uh, designate the money to be given for AIDS research, but that's what it took. I mean, ACT UP, gay men's health crisis, all the fighting in the world saying homosexual men need help got them... Nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> whereas, whereas really clever, uh, a really clever marketing strategy for a good idea can make a difference. And that was the work of just a couple people. Right. Uh, that's something that inspires me yeah. as a writer simply because that's kind of what my possibilities are limited to okay. coming up with, you know, media viruses, formulating things in a new way that might catch on. I, I would feel honored to know that I had ever managed to do that. There's a dark wit to your work, which I, I it's, it's, it's brilliant. Like, in, yeah. especially in Walk Creeper, I mean, I laugh out loud at some of the, the, the observations. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a, a, a white man. You, you, you put it in, it, you, you put that picture perfectly. You know, the, the, the kind of the hubris of, of at least in Wall Creeper, of some, of some of men, you know, that they're so blinded by their own glory that they don't even 
stop to observe how absurd they they can be potentially they don't maybe they don't mean it and i don't think you're 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 not putting it in that way you're not being cruel but it's just you you hit the nail on the head sometimes. about about men and their but, heroics yeah right? like i mean the narrator in wall creeper like she's yeah. brilliant like in the in the sense of like she's cool and detached but she's also caring and she's in, ferociously intelligent and all of these things and she's able she's so well able to articulate you know or to understand Stephen, her 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 husband and yeah. the other men in her in her life and she's she's almost like and i well she, she's like prince she's like a female version of prince mishkin and i know you you, you kind of referenced that. That is a really strange <laughs> point. I and she doesn't. She doesn't get Olaf at all. She. Th- she. Uh, no, she doesn't. That's true. She doesn't get Olaf. That, that guy's her bête noire. But, but yeah, but she's he, she's not really interested in him. And I never thought of comparing her to Prince Mishkin, Mishkin. Yeah. Uh, who's uh, you know because obviously kinda, a personal hero of mine. I, I think I think she's kind of. Um, She's kind of saintly in a funny, in a human sort of way. You know, she is kind of, she's very generous, but she's also cutting. I mean, when I'm writing, I often think of Aglaya Yepanchin, the girl who's so crazy about Prince Mishkin and like gives him a hedgehog and then it's just outraged because he doesn't get the meaning of the hedgehog and and that kind of thing. That that sort of. Well, she's, she's way more composed than Aglaya, I would have said. But anyway, that's my, I, I think she's. Yeah, uh, I just uh, that sort of um, in a lot of the early stories I wrote, like for my zine, there's this recurring figure of this heroic baby lamb, like okay. a, a lamb, you know, living among us in human society. But it's that person who happens to be a lamb and this okay. lamb will just like, you know, right wrongs, not like a superhero, but just um, see that an anaconda is eating Sharon Topper of the bent uh, God is my co-pilot and then just run up and with its flinty hooves just you know beat on the yeah. anaconda's head until yeah. it stops and um, and that kind of just very forthright uh, like self-righteous but also righteous yes. action yeah. is, is something that appeals to me aesthetically okay. and uh, it's just very hard at this stage in my life to get a character to that to that point when they can where they can perform an action like that uh-huh, uh-huh. as an adult human in contemporary society uh-huh, uh-huh. To, to do the right thing uh-huh. like what is that you know I don't know <laughs> just one last thing um, it, with with wall creeper in mind and going back to you know ideas of history and agency and that sort of thing it it, it is I mean, I don't know whether it was intended or not, but it, it's like these two American characters are living in Bern in Switzerland and the Thomas is working in Big Pharma and they're both interested in, in, in bird watching. And it happens that they, Thomas gets... Stephen, Stephen. Oh, sorry, Stephen, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stephen leaves his job in Big Pharma and they become involved in this kind of say you know save the environment movements in in Germany particularly geared towards rivers river Rhine yes looking at the river Rhine 
Um, well, he, he falls for a very, very pretty girl named Bilke. That's right. Who's, yeah. uh, who's founded this movement, this one-person movement. He turns it into a two-person movement. Yes. Okay. Do you, on, in, in the grander, it, it, does that go back to, you know, your interpretation of history or your understanding of history and agency? The idea that, okay, Big Pharma is having this devastating effect. I can't control what this corporation does. Therefore, I must almost kind of merge myself back into European or try and get European culture, acculturation or get, get kind of write my own individuality into European culture. See, I, I don't think of it that way simply because for someone of my generation, and I think also people a good bit younger than I am, but not for people who are young now, we just took it for granted that Big Pharma was evil. It never crossed our mind okay. in a million years that Big Pharma was on our side. I mean, my slogan for a long, long time now, and it has never led me astray, is one from the industrial workers of the world from like 1905, the working class and the employing class have nothing in common. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's just <laughs> really important to me, at least, to remember that and to remember okay. who is who is my friend and who's my employer. You know, okay. I think for a lot of young people, that's that boundary has been blurred to an extent yeah. that. It's absolutely unreal. I mean, I mean, I've met young writers who have the the reputation of being unbelievably sharp, cynical, mm -hmm. you know, people who will then say to me with a straight face, "I'm so proud. I've never, um, I've never written a novel where I didn't earn out. Every every book I write, my publisher makes money, and I'm proud of that." Wow. And I think, what the fuck planet are you from? That's, yeah, that's I mean. Okay, yeah. maybe you can edit that out. What the fuck planet are you from is not actually the right thing to be thinking, but um, what I mean is I, that strikes me as, as naive, and it's that kind of stance that would lead you to do something like trust Big Pharma yes. and suddenly be surprised yes. that yeah. they're evil. Yeah, believing your own lies almost. Well, not, no, not your own lies. You're not lying. Well, you are kind uh, of lying to yourself in the sense that, well... It's just that in this uh, in this world that is no longer uh, so bipolar, where, where there's not so much dialectics okay. of of um, the working class yeah. and the employing class, uh, class struggle, these things. I talk about this in doxology, yeah. um, that the things are now everything's on a spectrum. Yeah. Um, I mean, conceptually, dialectics can be very valuable. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Because when things get really fuzzy is when you get people just assuming they should trust Big Pharma. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so uh, that that's, was just what I wanted to say, that that kind yeah, of yeah, thinking sure. is, is alien to me okay. personally because it just wouldn't cross my mind. Okay. Brilliant. Nell Zink, thank you so much. 
Again, if you haven't read it, treat yourself to Wall Creeper. Brilliant stuff there from the sharpest author on the block, Nell Zink. Again, as always, go to secondhome.io for full events listings and sign up for our killer newsletter at liberia.io. Some special creativity making curations coming up soon, so keep an eye out for that and see you next time.